All right, it's my privilege now to introduce our great friend, professor at Southeastern, professor at Maranatha School of Ministry. He's, a, he's just a great guy. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's, he's one of the most talented and brilliant men that I know. That's true. Um, but he's also very anointed and has a very focused life on Jesus. Uh, Dr. Davis, come. Take your liberty, sir. Let the Holy Spirit use you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's just great to be here. There is a beautiful anointing of the Holy Spirit here. And it's never a time that I'm here that I don't feel the presence of the Lord and His power. And there's times, you know, when you're wondering if it's the Lord speaking to you. And I don't know if you've had this happen. That happens to me. And then there's times where I know it's the Lord. And I'm, I'm blessed that the Lord will sometimes grant me words of knowledge when people are being healed. And uh, when he does that, I'm going to have to tell you, I just stand in awe because I know it's nothing to do with me. It's just him. And he could use a donkey. And please don't use any analogies there. <laughs> and yet, in his wisdom and his power, he just chooses to, to use people like us. Stand to your feet if you would. And I want you very quietly just to sing an old song, Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me. Melt me, mold me, fill me. Fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Let's do it one more time. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on... The power of the Holy Spirit is falling on someone right over here. God is touching you in a very powerful way. There's someone here, you've been in intense pain, 
And throughout the entire worship time, the Lord was telling me, I am healing you. Where are you? There is no question in my mind about it. None whatsoever. The Lord is healing. There was intense pain. It may have even been radiating all the way to your back. It has something to do with your digestive system. The power of God is moving through you right now. Right then, the power of the Holy Spirit just moved. Where are you? The power of the Holy Spirit was just moving through your body. Oh, Lord, touch that person. Is it you, ma'am? Is it you? Come on up here. Did you feel the power of the Holy Spirit move through you? Father, the power of God just moved through this body, and I pray the power of the Holy Spirit healer in Jesus' mighty name. Lord Jesus, we pray the power of God's Spirit. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, burn it out. In the name of Jesus, through your power and through your strength, Lord Jesus, we pray for your complete healing and the power of God move through this body. There's a wrist healing. Someone's wrist has been healed. There is a wrist healing. The Lord is healing. It's just a wrist is all it is. The Lord is healing it. Jesus, we pray for your strength and your power. Just move upon that wrist in the name of Jesus. You've been in pain and the Lord is healing your wrist. Your wrist the Holy Spirit is healing it. Is there someone here that the Lord has healed the rest? Where are you? The Holy Spirit is healing you right now. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Touch them, Jesus. Father, we pray for your touch. Go ahead and try it. Just move your hand if, in fact, it's you. Go ahead and try it out. Move it around. Jesus, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy One, Jesus, we praise you. Power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Jesus, we praise you. There's another stomach healing. It is not the same as this one. It's actually the stomach there's a stomach healing. The Lord is healing someone's stomach right now. Just, it just happened right there. The Holy Spirit just healed it and touched it. Where are you? The power of God just went through you, and you felt the Holy Spirit just heal you. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Jesus, we worship. Jesus, we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Is it you? Yes? Come on up. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. That Praise you, Lord. There's nothing that God can't do. There is no limit to his power. None whatsoever. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What did the Lord, did the Lord heal you? Yeah, thanks be to God. Is it all gone? Is the pain gone? 
I wasn't really... Did you feel the Holy Spirit touch you? Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thanks be to God. Before we're done, the Lord will do more. And uh, towards the end of our service, we'll ask the Lord to touch bodies and to heal people. And I want to thank God already for the work that he's going to do, and I want you to believe that he is going to do it. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Well, the Bible says that the preaching of his word is accompanied with signs and wonders, and I believe that. And so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah 6, and we're going to look at verse 1. And uh, it was uh, interesting that the very first words of our speaker on the video that's coming was uh, this verse. And so uh, she began to talk about, I was afraid she was going to preach my sermon before I got up here. But no doubt the Lord was inspiring her along the same lines. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. And let's go ahead. We're going to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And before we begin, I just want to tell you, it is my joy to be able to be with Pastor Jeremiah and lead a trip to Israel this, past, this next year. In 2020, we're going to go in May. And so just keep that in the back of your mind. We'll have more information. Pastor Jeremiah and I have to sit down and uh, talk about the dates. Uh, but I'm looking forward to taking you. And some of you have already been with me, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Cliff, you've been. Jan, yeah, yeah. Who else has been with me on trips to Israel? Well, yeah. Oh, Marissa, you went a long time ago. Yeah, okay, all right. It is unbelievable, incredible. I hope you're able to go. Uh, there's few things in my life are as much fun as uh, going to Israel and just, can you imagine worshiping the Lord on the Sea of Galilee? I mean, we go right out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and we worship the Lord. And can you imagine praying for one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane? You remember that, Barry? Praying for one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, we had to wake up a few people, but it was still good. It was <laughs> still good. All right, let's take a look at Isaiah 6. And here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his temple filled, excuse me, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him there were seraphs, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces. And with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sound of their voices, the doorpost, and the fire thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried out. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I hang around people who cuss. Oh, it doesn't say that. Because, of course, cussing's perfectly okay. 
And so when the Bible talks about foul language, it's probably talking about chickens. I live among people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphs flew. And he flew with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for the great mercy that you have shown us. We thank you for your word and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. Father, I pray that you would help our minds to grab hold of what you have to say to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would listen to the power of your word, which is able to transform lives. Father, I pray that we would not just be hearers, but we would be doers. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. His name was Mark, and he was a heroin addict. And his wife was also a heroin addict, but she had made the mistake of coming to church. Like a good pastor, I decided that I was going to follow up and just see her. And so I, I went by to a good friend of hers, and I said, I'd like to go by and see Alicia. And her good friend says, well, you know, Alicia's a, an addict. And I said, I don't care. She said, well, I, I'm not sure that she would want you dropping in on her. I said, well, why don't you come with me? And she said, well, maybe I should call her. I said, oh, no, a surprise is always so much more exciting. <laughs> and she said, well, this, this, I just want to warn you, Pastor, this is, this is a rough couple. And I said, I don't mind. And so we went to her house and we knocked on the door and she looked like she'd seen Jesus when she opened up the door. She opened it up and she... She just looked shocked. And I said, hi, how are you? May I come in? And she said, well, now's not a good time. And I said, well, well, I can wait. When would be a good time? And I said, do you have any coffee? And she said, well, I suppose I do. And I said, I'll take mine with cream. And she said, well, okay, come on in, Pastor. And so I, I went in and I sat down and I said, where's your husband? And she said, well, he's not here. Well, that wasn't actually true. He wasn't physically there. I mean, he, he wasn't mentally there, but he was physically there. And I said, well, where is he? And she said, well, he's up, he's up in his bedroom. And I said, well, tell him that I'm here and I want to see him. And she said, he doesn't want to see you. And I said, that's never bothered me before. <laughs> he said, she said, I don't think you understand. He really doesn't want to see you. And he's sort of a, well, he's a bouncer in a bar. He's not the church-going type. And I said, well, I wasn't the church-going type before I found Jesus. As a matter of fact, I was about as mean a person as I know. And a lady came to hear me when I first started preaching. 
because she couldn't believe that, that the meanest boy that she'd ever met was actually now a preacher of the gospel. And I said, so just let him know that I'll wait. And she said, well, you could be waiting a long time. I said, well, make a whole pot of coffee then. <laughs> and she did. And I drank coffee, and she went up every now and then to, to see him, and each time she said, he says he's not coming down. And I said, it's not a problem. I don't have anything left on my schedule. So she went up again, and she said, he said to tell you that he doesn't want to see you and that you can go home now. And I said, tell him I'm not going until I see him. And she said, I'll tell him, but I'm not sure that'll make a difference. And I said, I'll sit until I see him. And if I have to sit here all night, I'll sit here all night. So you go up and tell your husband but I'm not leaving until he comes down the steps. Now, I suppose they could have probably called the police at that point. But they didn't. And she went up and told him, and a few moments later, a, a big hulking man started walking down the steps with hair all the way down to his back. He was one of the baddest dudes I have ever seen in my life. And he walked down, and he had tears streaming down his eyes. And he said, can you help me? And I said, pack your stuff up. You're going with me. I'm going to take you to my house, and you're going to get clean, and you're going to follow Jesus by the time I'm done. And he said, I'll do whatever you say if you can get me off heroin. And I said, well, you come on. And he packed his stuff, and I looked at his wife, and I said, well, I'm done with him. I'm coming for you. And that man came up my house, and I have never found a man more gentle in all my life than this bouncer of a bar that was shooting heroin up in his arm. And when he kicked heroin, he followed me around like a little puppy because he wanted to know everything that I knew about God. And I remember one day we had to go to the hospital to visit somebody, and I told him, you got a suit? He said, well, I, I got one. I said, well, I want you to wear it. And we went into the hospital, and we came out, and he looked at me. He was all smiles. He said, Pastor, uh, people treat, treated me with respect. He said, do you think that's because I'm wearing a suit? And I said, I don't know. But I guarantee you that if you follow Jesus, People will treat you like respect you've never had in your life. Because you see, once you've seen the king, everything else changes. And so our sermon today is, I saw the Lord. And I've heard lots of people talk about having visions of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes they're just phantoms of their imagination. Because if you've really come into contact with Christ, you'll be changed. And I say that because I have come into contact with Christ and He changed me. And the, the measurement of growth is a changed life. The measurement of a vitality of a church is changed lives. And so one of the things that I see occurring in America today and in the United States is that we have a false measurement of success and that measurement is just simply numerical growth. 
I know many people that are absolutely buying Facebook members so that they can appear, that they can be popular. But God doesn't care a whit about that. What He cares about is lives being changed. And how do lives get changed? They come into contact with God. And our job is to be emissaries, to be ambassadors of the King, having met Him. And the more that you come close to Jesus and the the more that you have a relationship with Him, the more that you're going to be motivated. I don't care a whit about all the do's and the don'ts, even though I'm an ethics professor. What I care about is changed lives because Christianity is an argument from the inside. It's not what's from the outside. Christianity is the power of God. And it's the power of God unto salvation. And unless you've got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you will not be able to run the race to the finish line. You won't be able to last because it's only the power of God that is on the inside that changes you. And Christianity is an argument with the world about what it means to be human and that redemption that occurs inside of me changes me to what I was originally created to be. I'm not saying that sin isn't fun. I've sinned plenty in my life. And if anybody tells you that sin isn't pleasurable, they're a liar. Sin is pleasurable, but it's also destructive. That man who was a heroin addict, I don't doubt one second that he derived some pleasure from shooting up heroin. I don't deny it. I don't debate it. But I know that if, in fact, that if you have something that is more powerful on the inside, that which is on the outside stands no chance. Now you might say, well, pastor, you've been teaching ethics too long. No, I've I've come into contact with Jesus. And so what occurs in this passage here, it starts with this phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. Why is that important? Because Uzziah is a figure of a man who knew God and fell away. You might remember, he's struck with leprosy because he disregards the teachings of God in the Word, and he figures that he can just do what he wants, that God will respect him. God teaches him otherwise. And so he begins this passage in the year the king Uzziah died. Uzziah is a signpost to Israel. You need to understand that God is holy. And one of the things that's happening in our world today is that we're trying to lower God in order that he can become relevant. Well, I'm going to tell you that before God ever lowers himself to where we are, he started from above. And I'm going to tell you that he is high and lifted up. And the number one adjective for God in the entire Bible is almighty. You might have thought it was loving, but before he came to where you are, he was up above. And so Jesus teaches us when we pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven, your name is holy. And so there's a common denominator throughout the Scriptures, and you have heard it before in Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says it numerous times throughout the Scripture. Proverbs 9-10, Psalm 111-10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's two types of fear. There's probably perhaps numerous types of fear, but the fear of the Lord is not a fear in the sense that you are afraid of him, it's more you recognize who he is in his power. 
And so one of the things that's remarkable to me is to see the power of God. And when people are healed and I see His power occur, it is sometimes overwhelming to me to come into the presence of the Lord like that. And so I am overwhelmed by His presence. When I come into the presence of the Lord, I can't believe that I'm, I'm able to be there. Martin Luther changed the world because he was consumed with the holiness of God. And then he found the mercy of God. He didn't work it the other way around. He didn't begin with mercy and come to the idea of holiness. No, he started with holiness. And so what I want to tell you is that many of us today are trying to forge our own relationship with God on our terms as if he wasn't God. That's God's air you're breathing. Give it back. No. If you really know who the Lord is, you'll know how holy He is. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And the respect of God. Think of it this way. The woman who was healed of an issue of blood, she said, if I can but touch the hem of His garment, just a little bit, I will be made whole. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so what we see in this passage is Isaiah comes upon the, the power of God and the power of His presence. And look at it, the seraphs, the angels are covering their face as they approach the Lord, even though they have no sin in them. They're still covering their face because, in fact, there is a knowledge of God's holiness and His power. He blinks and the world comes into existence. This is the type of God that we're talking about. There's nothing too hard for Him. There was a professor at Southeastern, and I won't mention his name because it may be a little too revealing, but he was struggling in his faith. And a student asked me if I would hold a healing service at Southeastern University. And I said, yes, you organize it and I won't promote it. And she did, and she got about 100 people in a little room called Johnson Chapel. We decided that we would do it together, this professor and I. And as we were worshiping, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. He said, there's a hole in someone's foot, and I will fill that hole right now. And so I gave the word of knowledge. There's someone here who has a hole, literally, a literal hole in your very foot. And the Lord is healing it. A woman stood up and she said, it's me, I felt it. The power of the Holy Spirit just focused right on my foot and I felt, I felt my foot forming. And people have said to me, have you ever seen a creative miracle? I absolutely have, many times. And right at that moment, God created bone in a woman's foot that didn't have any. The professor couldn't believe it. And so not, or shall I say, unbeknownst to me, he called her to his office a couple of days later because he'd never seen anything like that. And so he asked her, is it true that your foot had a hole in it and there was no bone there? And she said, well, yes, of course. And he said, could you bring me some x-ray showing me the hole and would you mind going back to the doctor and getting some more? 
And she said, I've already done that. (laughs) And she said, would you like me to bring them in? And he said, yes, I'd like that very much. And she brought an x-ray showing a hole in her foot where bone was missing, literally. And then she brought him the other x-ray that showed that the foot was completely healed. Go ahead and give Jesus a round of applause. I want to tell you about a God who can do anything. About a God who can create. A God who can speak the worlds into existence. A God who can blink. And I'm telling you, when we see the power of God in this place, you're only just touching one one millionth of an inch of the power that He has available. There is no limit to this God. He has the ability. And when God moves, When he really moves, I sense the power of his holiness because there's no one like him. And that power is so immense that were you to see it in your humanness, you would die instantly. You can't even see his face as he told Moses. You will die. So when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we see the proper response of Isaiah, and we also see it throughout the Bible. Peter says it when he realizes the power of God upon Jesus. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. I know that in fact, coming this close to God is is a little scary because of how holy he is. We have lost a sense of the holiness of God in our generation. And the result of that is that we've decided to make God so human that he's lost his divinity. Years ago, God was so divine that you couldn't get in touch with him at all. But the simple truth of the matter is he's 100% God and 100% man. And so a proper understanding of God has God high and lifted up holy, and yet at the same time, able to come to where we are and meet us in our even sinful nature. And yet he does it by degree of density, the density of his presence. Which is why sometimes when you're worshiping the Lord, you might feel this presence of the Lord and the person next to you feel nothing. Some of you might have experienced this just recently, just here today. We're worshiping the Lord. And your, your mind's a million miles away, or, or you were thinking about the upcoming football season. I understand that. I don't blame you. But when you come into the presence of the Lord, He wants to change you. There's, there's something therapeutic. There's something healing. There's something wonderful about just being in the presence of the Lord. And then realizing that even though he is so holy, he still wants to come down to where you are. And so this is what happens in this passage. Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone. But what occurs is an an angel grabs a coal and he, he places it upon his lips and he says this, your sin is atoned for. It's an interesting way to say it. He could have just said, your sin is forgiven, or God is not looking at it anymore. 
But what he actually said, according to the Scripture, is, if you'll take a look at it in verse 6 and 7, it says your sin is atoned for. How could a sin be atoned for if Jesus hadn't come yet? In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And because I'm a theology teacher, it would be wrong of me not to give you a little theology. Those of you who get bored at theology, you can look at Facebook right now. The answer is found in Hebrews 4.3, Abraham is justified by faith. And makes the point of saying he wasn't justified by good works, he was justified by faith. But how can we bring these two statements together? That there's no other way to heaven except through Christ and Abraham is justified. We find the same here in Isaiah. Isaiah is atoned. His sin is atoned for. Well, how can it be atoned for? Is it the blood of goats and bulls that atones for sin? What is the answer? Of course not. If that had done the job, there would have been no need for Christ, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And so what the Scriptures say is that the only blood that can wash away sin is the blood of Jesus, and we sing it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So how is Isaiah's sin atoned for? Well, to a certain degree, it's very simple. Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are what? The Father and I are one. And so, effectively, to believe in God is to believe in Christ and the atonement that was actually known and factored in before the foundation of the world. Now you're getting a little speculative, Dr. Davis. No, I'm getting biblical. Because Romans 13.8, and you can look it up, see if I've got my theology straight. Romans 13.8 says that Christ was actually slain before the foundation of the world. Is that what it says? Yes, it does. How could it be that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world? And the answer is because in God's knowledge, it is perfectly done regardless of the time period in which it occurs. Now you're like, What? It is a known fact throughout all of creation prior to it occurring. Let me say that again. It is a known fact prior to creation, prior to the world. It is as true and known before it happens as when it happens and after it happens because with God there is no diminution of his knowledge. And so effectively what occurs is since the knowledge of Christ's sacrifice is a known fact. It is actually given out to people like Isaiah before it actually occurs in history. And how am I sure that that is the truth? Look at the word again, atonement. Your sin is atoned for. And so Isaiah receives the atonement. Prior to it occurring in time, it occurs perfectly in the mind of God. I will tell you this can get a little tricky. I, I got a phone call from my Sunday school teacher back when I was a pastor, and she said, Pastor, uh, I need you to talk to one of our children. And I said, oh, well, I'd be happy to. Uh, what, uh, what can I, how can I help? And she said, uh, well, the child, 
she has this problem. She thinks she's pre-existent. Yeah. The child thinks that she had existed before she was born. And I said, well, whose child is that? And she said, yours. <laughs> and I said, okay. This is not going to be an easy conversation. I know the child of which you are speaking. I said, it's my daughter Catherine, isn't it? She said, yes. I said, okay. All right, I'll have a conversation with her. And she said, as, and it's interesting, she said, I need to warn you. <laughs> you know, I'm a PhD in theology, you know, and you're warning me. And she said, I need to warn you. She's got a pretty good little argument. I said, okay, all right, game on. <laughs> and so, so Catherine and I and all of my children, we'd have this ritual, little thing that we do before they go to sleep tonight, at nighttime. And, and the way that it worked is that we'd read them a Bible story. And frankly, I wholeheartedly encourage you to do it to all dear children every single night they'd hear the Bible. We'd do a Bible story. And then I would sing to her. Now, some of you who do not sing well, don't do that part, okay? <laughs> we don't want to cause nightmares before they go to... <laughs> but I would sing to her. I'd kiss her on the forehead, and uh, I'd pray. And so I remember after we got done praying, and I kissed her on the forehead, very end, actually. I said, you know, uh, Catherine... Uh, Miss Johanna tells me that, uh, that you believe that you have uh, always existed. And she said, that's right. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, well, see, I was there when you were born, and I'm pretty sure you, you have not existed forever. And she said, that's not what I'm talking about. And I said, well, well tell me, what is it? And she said, well, God knows everything, right? I said, yeah, yeah, that's correct. God knew that I would be born. I said, yes, that's correct too. And she said, so I existed in the mind of God prior to existing on earth. And darn, she does have a good argument. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought about it. I thought, boy, I need to think quickly now. And I said, well, yeah, that's true for God, but not for you. And she said, I thought you would say that. <laughs> and so she hugged me, and she said, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> you know what? I never convinced her. I tried I don't know how many arguments. She wasn't having it. You're, you're waiting for me to tell you the solution. I haven't got one. <laughs> there is an argument, but her argument's pretty good too. And my argument is this. Before Jesus was ever slain, it was a known fact to God according to the Scriptures. And those who believed in God were granted the, the atonement, as this scripture teaches, because their belief in God was evidence that they are, in fact, going to believe in Christ 
as soon as they know of his beautiful sacrifice. And so therefore, salvation is a condition of the heart, not merely an intellectual apprehension. And so they believed in Christ, in believing in God. And again, you're going to have a little problem if you don't make that argument because you have a plan B to salvation if Christ isn't the only way. And that's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So ladies and gentlemen, what we have in our, our world today and what you're going to fight against is what I call the problem of the false measurement. And I have here a bathroom scale. For some of you, it is the most fearful thing that you will ever see. And I'm going to call on one of you to come up here and... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> How many of your hearts sunk? You're like, it's not of the Lord what he's doing. That is just not of God. <laughs> but I can remember that this object created a little bit of an argument between my wife and I. Now, I'm going to tell you, we have a wonderful marriage, and there's just not too many times that we really argue, except when I told her that this scale was off. Not this one. This is a facsimile. The other one has been burnt. <laughs> but it, <laughs> I'm joking. But what happened was we would get on it every day, or at least I would. I think she did too. And to tell you the truth, it, it, it looked pretty good. And what happened is I went to the doctor, and I got on his scale. And have you ever had that feeling when you're at the doctor, you know, you get on the scale and they keep going? Have you had that? You know, stop it. Stop right there. <laughs> stop. You don't need to go any further. I'll tell you what I weigh. <laughs> why, why is this a question? I'd be more than happy. I'm a professor of ethics. I can tell you. Well, anyway, this particular time, it was, it was pretty rough. And, you know, I, I knew I'd been eating a little bit and... and, and, and Truth be told, I, I did guzzle a whole six-pack of Mountain Dew. I thought that was like health food or something, you know? And so anyway, I go to the doctor, and he keeps doing this thing, and, I, and I'm like looking at it, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, no, I don't weigh that much. <laughs> and, and so they're writing it down on the chart. Stop that. Stop right now. There's no writing down. This is an inaccurate. And I, and I, I, I made this stupid comment is this, is this scale accurate? <laughs> and, and he looked at me and just sort of smiled, you know, like, you really are stupid, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're not, you're, you don't have gained weight. It's gone to your head, your head, you know. Yeah, so right. evidently your blood vessels are full, <laughs> you know. And, and I, I immediately realized what I said. I said, uh, see, my scale at home is five pounds less, and it's sort of a shock to tell you the truth. And he goes, well, your scale at home is wrong. And I said, get thee behind me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and so I went home, <laughs> and I told Dana, my wife, I said, you know, uh, we, we have to replace the bathroom scale. And, and, I, and I got a very intense reaction. No. <laughs> and I said, no, but see, it's five pounds off. She goes, I like it. <laughs> I never knew that people could have relationships with scales, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, it doesn't do any good because it's five pounds off, and so we need to get a new one. 
And she said, let's not do that right now. <laughs> and so I think what she was saying is, let me, let me just come to grips with the fact that I'm five pounds more than I thought I was. This is what we do with God. You see, we measure ourselves against other people. And by measuring ourselves with a false measurement, we, we feel good about ourselves. You know, at least I'm not Adolf Hitler. You know, at least I'm not Genghis Khan, you know, or Joe Stalin or Mao Zedong. I mean, you know, at least I'm not part of the Khmer Rouge. What would happen if you used an accurate scale, namely the perfection of God? What would happen is you would cry out, woe is me, I'm undone. And I, I fully believe that one of the reasons that we don't use an accurate scale is because deep in our hearts, we don't really believe that God could love us that much if He really knew who we were. And so we play this game that we're pretending before God and we're hiding our sins before God when He's already willing to forgive us and love us and atone for our sins. So let me say something that I hope will shock you. You have to enter heaven perfect. You're like, right away, you're ready to rip your garments to say blasphemy. But let me tell you the second part. It was never based on anything that you were going to do. It was the blood of Jesus that makes you perfect, that washes away all sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing that you do. Nothing that you are. Nothing at all so that you're only having to rely upon the grace of God. And if you'll begin with that point, then your whole life will be changed. I think in all honesty that I had a, a leg up on a lot of people because I was such a mean, evil person before I got saved. Even my own children thank God that I was saved because they believe that I would have been something similar to the dark knight in Batman, to the return of Batman. My students say the same thing too. What I know is mercy. And I can remember when I was in a car accident and I, see the, I saw the car coming straight for me and I thought at that moment that I'm going to die and as the car impacted and I saw the glass shattering, I remember thinking to myself, you're headed straight for hell. And after I got out of the car, I wanted to strangle the little girl that ran through the stop sign and I went over to to wrap my hands around her neck because I was so full of rage and fear that I almost died until I heard a voice say to me, she wasn't the one that was going to send you to hell. You were. And I stopped cold in my tracks and I realized what a fool I was. How could someone gamble with all eternity? What kind of stupid person would gamble that God doesn't have the ability to see everything in my mind, in my heart. And yet, I realized at the same time that he didn't take me for some reason, even though he could have. I realized that he would have been perfectly within his righteousness to say, you know what, you've, lived, you've caused enough harm, and there's still people today that I have to apologize to if I see them. I've got most of them. Isaiah was overwhelmed by the mercy of God because he knew who he was. 
having been overwhelmed by his mercy, he now was in a position to be able to be used. Let me say that again. Having been overwhelmed by his mercy, he's now in a position to be used. Let me say it one more time. Having been overwhelmed by his mercy, he's now in the place where he can be used. And as long as you wish to debate with God your goodness, you're really not going to be able to use, be used much. Let me say it one more time. As long as you want to debate with God your goodness and your relative scale of goodness, your false measurement, you're really not in much place to be used because it is God's mercy and grace that motivates everything. By grace you are saved. And send, so the holy question comes as a result of this. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. Send me, God. Because God is like a mirror the closer that we come to him. The more we see ourselves. And having got a good glimpse of who he was, he now understood who God was in his mercy. Having been transformed, he wants to transform others. To understand who God is is to understand that my mission is to help others have the same experience that I have had. And once that a moment occurs, we begin to answer that question, why am I here? What is my purpose? And your purpose is to show and tell, to show others how you've been changed to let them see the miracle. And some of you might be like my children who say, well, I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I haven't really been as wicked as you were, Dad. No matter how normal your home was, now how blessed your home was, and you have no idea the blessings growing up in a godly home that other people don't have. you still have got to come face to face with God in his holiness and understand it is by grace you are saved lest any should boast. And once that understanding has been reached, now you're ready to be used of God and to go and search for those that God's heart pains for. The heart of the Father is to search for the lost to go where they are and to realize if they do not hear, there is no hope. Well, I'm going to ask our musicians to come up at this time, if you would, to provide some music for us. And what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to examine Isaiah and his call and I want you to hear it again in the hopes that the Lord will call you. The first thing that we see is that he's overwhelmed by his majesty and his holiness. And coming face to face with God, he sees for the very first time just who it is that we're talking about. And today I'd like you to have an encounter with God if you've never had one. And even if you've had one, I want you to have more so that you can be transformed. Nothing transforms you like a touch from God. 
And then I want you to hear, woe is me, I'm undone. A, a clear understanding of who you are before God helps us to see the power of the ministry that we're called to. To be light and salt to a lost and dying world. To touch the broken hearts and those whose lives have been derailed by sin. And then I want you to say these words. Here am I. Send me, God. Send me wherever you want. Do with me whatever you choose. Because you've changed me. My family always goes on a vacation and we like to go to the beach. We moved to Florida to cure that problem. But before we moved, we went to a little place called Emerald Isle, North Carolina. One of the scariest moments of my life occurred at Emerald because uh, just on a whim, I, I radioed up through a walkie-talkie to my wife, and I said, is Catherine with you? And she said, no, I, I thought she was with you. And I said, well, she hasn't been with me for 30 minutes. Where is she? She said, she hasn't been here at all. I was near the ocean with giant waves. We went there purposely because these giant waves, you could ride them nice. But the problem with giant waves is they're strong undertow. So immediately my heart sank within me and I thought, oh Lord, where is she? My brother was there, and I said, look, you go up that direction, I'll go the other direction, and here, use your phone and call me if, in fact, you find her. And with each step that I walked, I thought, what will I find? Will I find my lost little girl? And so I called my brother and I said, have you found her yet? And he, he yelled, no, I'm running the length of the beach and I haven't seen her. And so I began to run too. Just like God did for you. He ran to the cross. And in the story of the prodigal son, when he hears that his son has returned, he runs. And I couldn't find her. And I called up to my wife again. I said, search the entire house. Make sure that she's there. She called back and said, I haven't found her. And so I kept running and I kept running until in the distance I saw that little girl. And I ran up to her and I put her in my arms and I hugged her and I said, where, where have you been? And she said, oh, Daddy, I'm not lost. I just decided to go pick up some seashells. The whole world is saying I'm not lost, but by golly they are.
Because without Christ, there's no hope. And I said, honey, you were very lost. And she saw the look in my face, and she just started to cry. And she said, I didn't mean to be lost. I know. But now, you're found. So ladies and gentlemen, God has one task for you to change the world, to find even those who don't think they're lost and tell them that their Father is running to meet them so that they can have an encounter with God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's rise to our feet now. And I'm just going to ask one simple question. And you respond how you think best. And here it is. Whom shall I send? And his people said, Let me ask it one more time. Whom the Lord of hosts says, shall I send? Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? Send me, send me, send me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to turn the service back over to the elders. And if you would like prayer for healing, or you would ask God to send you, please come forward and we will begin to pray with you.